0: Hello, Chrysalis audience. Before we get to the episode today, I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge recent events with the Black Lives Matter movement. We recorded this episode in April 2020 during the COVID-19 pandemic before the death of George Floyd. While the Black Lives Matter movement has been an important fixture in American society for several years now, the recent momentum of the movement, coupled with heavy stress of a global pandemic, has left many of us feeling a renewed responsibility to support social progress. In this episode, the Pod Squad discusses social comparison, which relates to how we determine our own personal worth based on how we stack up against others. Social comparison is something we all do, and we might especially be doing this today as many of us are spending more time on social media lately. It also speaks to the dangers of how we compare ourselves to others and when those comparisons can be helpful or perhaps more importantly, hurtful. Stay tuned for an episode on the social psychological concepts that contribute to racial disparities. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy our discussion about social comparison. Thanks. everyone. Welcome to Inside the Chrysalis. Our goal for this podcast is to introduce and discuss psychological concepts in the context of the real world. And today's podcast is one of our roundtables, where we gather a group of experts to weigh in on one particular concept and discuss how it impacts them personally. And that particular concept today is social comparison. So think about when you go on Facebook and you watch something that somebody posts and it makes you either feel good about yourself or bad about yourself, something like that. That's what we're talking about with social comparison. So we're going to learn about that today and got my three co-hosts with me here today. So first, Dr. Jen
1: Bryan. Hi, Jen. Hi, everybody. I am Dr. Jennifer Bryan. I work at the VA in mental health education, and I'm an assistant professor at Baylor College of Medicine. Welcome, Jen. And then we have
0: Dr. Chelsea Young. Chelsea?
2: Hi, everybody. I'm an assistant professor at Rowan University and an applied social psychologist.
0: Awesome. Welcome, Chelsea. And then we have Dr. Angie
3: Leroy. Hi, I'm Dr. Angie Leroy. I study the mind-body connection. I'm currently a researcher at Rice University. Welcome.
0: And I'm Dr. Michelle Quist, and I am an assistant teaching professor at Penn State. So we are all here today to talk about social comparison. Chelsea, why don't you tell us all what social comparison is? I'd be happy to Michelle. Uh, Social comparison
2: is one of my favorite things to talk about in my undergrad social psychology class. So every semester on our chapter on the self, we talk about how we come to know who we are, and how we understand ourselves to be unique individuals who are different from others. And one of the ways that we learn about ourselves is through social comparison. So the social comparison theory was first derived by Leon Festinger, And it's been expanded on by a lot of different researchers since then. The general idea is that when we want to know if we're good at something, if we're really unsure how we measure up compared to others, that we'll look to others to gauge our own performance. When we're not sure how good we are at something, we look to other people. So if we're looking for an accurate social comparison, we might look at someone who has a very similar background and training to us. So I'm trying to learn Vietnamese right now via Duolingo. And if I want to make an accurate comparison, how am I doing in learning my Vietnamese, I want to compare myself to someone with a similar background and training as me. So I've heard conversational Vietnamese through my partner and his family, but have no other experience minus the app. I would not want to compare myself necessarily if I wanted an accurate representation if I compared myself to my partner who grew up in Vietnam, right? That would be a different kind of comparison. And we'll get to that in a minute. So accurate comparisons, we look to others with similar background and training to really get at how good we are at something, but we're not always motivated to be accurate. We don't always want that accurate feedback because sometimes accurate feedback can make us feel bad right? Or it can prevent us from getting to where we really want to be or not motivate us to move further or continue. So sometimes we want to make other kinds of comparisons. So you could make an upward social comparison, which is where you're looking at someone who is better at a particular skill or ability than you are. And when you do that, you can realize that you're not as good, which can feel kind of bad, but you can also see the level to which you can aspire. So for instance, if I'm comparing my baking skills, I'm an avid baker from the Midwest, and every semester, usually when we're in person, I bake my students cupcakes as a way to get them to come to my review sessions on the last day of class. So if I wanted to know how good of a baker I am, I could do an accurate sort of representation or accurate social comparison where I take someone else who has no formal training but enjoys baking in their free time and see how I compare to them. If I wanted to do an upward social comparison, I might look to people who have more experience, more training and are better than me. So the Great British Bake Off is a show that I love. (laughs) And if I compare my baking skills to the people on that show, I could realize, wow, I've got a long way to go at really being a good baker, which can ultimately make me feel kind of bad in the moment, but might motivate me to work harder in the future. The other type of comparison is a downward social comparison. So in that case, we're looking at someone whose skills and abilities or overall position is below us in some way. They're not as good on the particular task as we are. So if I'm still judging my baking skills, I might look at people on Nailed It. (laughs) For instance, another baking show I love that's on Netflix. These are individuals who have very little experience baking, and they're put into difficult situations where they have to bake a cake that looks like a snake in two hours, for instance. And so when I watch those shows, I can see all the errors that they're making. And I know from my own baking experience what they're doing wrong. So In that case, I and better at baking than they are. So that downward social comparison can in the moment make me feel better about how I am and how I compare to others.
0: I love those examples. I do those same things with the Great British Baking Show and Nailed It. Like Great British Baking Show, I I think to myself, oh, this is what I can do if I practice. Whereas Nailed It, I think to myself, what is wrong with those stupid people? I'm so much (laughs) smarter than them. (laughs) So it sounds like you're saying we use these things kind of strategically.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they serve separate functions, right? So if we if we want to see, you know, if we want to motivate ourselves to do better in the future, we can make an upward social comparison. Or if we're having a bad day, and we're feeling like we're not very good, we might be motivated to make a downward social comparison and kind of give ourselves a little bit of a self esteem boost. And if we want an accurate representation or an accurate social comparison, how do I really compare to people who are similar to me, we make that kind of comparison. So really much depends on our motivation.
3: Absolutely,
0: Angie. Do you want to give us some additional context here?
3: Yeah, something I wanted to add to is that this process of comparing ourselves to others is something that we all do. So, in fact, it's actually adaptive and normal to some extent to do this, and that's greatly in part to the fact that social comparison is one way we can quantify our social standing in a group. And so, what I mean by that is, we're t- as humans, we're and as social creatures, we're always kind of checking out where we. S- stand in comparison to others. Humans have this fundamental need to belong, just like what, like we need food and water. We also have this uh, need to belong and be a larger part of a group. And that's because throughout history, even if you think back to, you know, the time of like the cave people, you know, uh, humans lived, hunted, and gathered in groups. They did everything collectively. They ate, slept, congregated together, built communities, and that was to utilize each other as resources and support. And so over time, we actually evolve these social detection mechanisms is kind of the way that social psychologists think about these ways that we can detect how we are kind of standing up to others in our environment to make sure that we're doing enough to stay a part of the groups that are important to us. Uh, Because in fact, if you think back throughout like our evolutionary history, you can imagine that in the times of cave people, for example, if you weren't part of a group, you probably weren't going to live very long. So if you think about herds of humans compared to herds of animals so to speak that you know if a if some if one of the lions or tigers for example wasn't contributing to the welfare of the group or was putting the group at risk in some way they might be cast out from the group and if they were cast out from the group they would no longer have the same resources of, of that the group did like food and things that they kind of did collectively and so if we don't we, if we don't have these kind of social detection ne- mechanisms uh working for us that can put us in a really risky social standing. And so in some ways, it's adaptive for us to compare ourselves to others so that we can figure out where we stand. Are we doing better than other people so that we're kind of proving our worth, so to speak, or do we need to buck up a bit in some areas? And as you can imagine, though, there's different extremes of those, right? And there's probably like a healthy middle ground place to be in terms of how much we're comparing ourselves to others and to what extent it's actually healthy.
0: Okay, so we have this mechanism that is adaptive in some ways. So let's talk then, what are the health and well-being implications for social comparison?
1: Well, on the positive health and well-being, I was thinking about a Fitbit. So I love to have my challenges every week. And um, I strive to come in first place. That doesn't always happen. But on days that I might only have 3000 steps, it's a lot easier to get up and go for a long walk when I log in and I see that my friends have a couple 1000 more steps than me. So I want to be a part of that group and I get more steps in and engage in a more healthy behavior.
3: To be clear, for us, for those of us that aren't technologically savvy, Jen, by Fitbit, you do mean those little wristbands that you wear on your wrist, right? That like detect like when you're exercising or you're breathing and sleep and all of that. Is that right? Yes,
0: I totally can understand the Fitbit thing, too. And I think it's a really great example of social comparison, because I have a bunch of my connections, friends on Fitbit, you know, that where you can see their activity in yours.
1: Mm-hmm. And on
0: weeks that I am very active, I always check my rank- rankings. And on <laughs> weeks that I am not, I never open that. So that is social comparison at work right there. I want to make myself feel good about being active. So I open it up and say, hey, you know, I stepped
1: more did more steps than everybody else. But if I haven't, then it's no, nope, don't even look. But I think you can also take that um, to an extreme getting back to the question that you already asked. So if you have to be in first place, and there's somebody in your group that is maybe training for a half marathon or something, and then you log in and you see they have 15,000 more steps than you and you go out for a walk for three hours to try to catch up with them, that might come at the detriment of sleep or at other things that would be a more balanced life. Yeah, Jen,
3: I think that sometimes these comparisons to what extent like when can this go off the rails and in what ways can this you know make us like decrease our well-being particularly what we were describing with the Fitbits and comparing yourselves to others and kind of feeling bad because by comparison you know by comparison to the person that's training for the half marathon the one mile that I walked today that I worked really hard to walk is it almost feels sort of invalidating to compare myself to someone who's you know running this half marathon right that can be really soul-sucking and so in addition to to it kind of influencing us emotionally, I feel like spiritually, that can be negative.
0: I think that goes along with something that occurred to me while Chelsea was talking about the basically the axes that we compare ourselves to someone else or the variable that we use to compare ourselves to someone else. Because I feel like we could go wrong in how we choose that. So for example, just because you're friends with someone on Fitbit does not mean you're at the same fitness level. And so comparing yeah, yourself right. because you're friends is not going to be a beneficial comparison. You need to compare yourself to someone who's at the same fitness level, you know, because that's what is really going to predict how many steps you're able to take in a day. So I feel like maybe that's where we might go wrong sometimes is comparing ourselves using the wrong axis. Yeah, and not
2: making that accurate comparison, right? But choosing instead somebody who has a lot more time to spend in the gym or someone who has a lot more money or resources in some other way, and we can't possibly match up to them
0: or just someone who started their fitness journey earlier. You know, it's not, maybe you could get that that fit, you're just not there yet. And so comparing yourself to them at this point is demoralizing and demotivating. So then you just don't look at the rankings anymore, as opposed to if you compare yourself to someone who's similar to you, then that can be motivating in that you're trying to beat them, not in a negative way, but trying to to compare accurately and see where you are. You can also compare yourself currently to your past
2: self. And that's another kind of comparison that we can make. So in that case, you might think, I may not be where I want to be, but I'm better than I was yesterday on my journey.
0: And that can be motivating as well. Oh, definitely. On the fitness thing. I've got Mm -hmm. a good example for that because I had taken up running and I'm terrible at it. I'm just not a good runner at all. But I had taken it up and I was, I was determined I was going to do it. And I remember the first day that I got to the point where I could run for 10 minutes straight. And I was just like a year ago, I couldn't run for like 90 seconds straight. And now I can run for 10 full minutes without taking a break. And that was such a huge breakthrough for me personally. Um, but I wasn't comparing myself to anybody except previous me. So yeah, I can definitely see comparing yourself to a past version of yourself.
1: I think that's a really kind way to go about comparison. If While you were talking, it also made me think of going to a yoga class. And I like to consider myself a yogi, but it is very much I am at a beginner level and going to classes, it can be a bit intimidating when you walk in and people are waiting for the class to start and they're in like a headstand or something. And I can remember thinking that like, oh, I am never going to get to this level. And then just remembering like, oh, I'm a beginner. Like I can have, with this, there's really no expectation for me, I can just do my best today. But I think that has to also do with growth mindset versus fixed mindset, because there's another way you can look at that when you come in and see somebody in a headstand, you could also think that, oh, there's no way I'm ever going to get to that level, I just suck. And you could walk out and close the door on something that could be pretty cool if you put some effort into it. Jen, why don't you tell us what a growth versus fixed mindset means? So a fixed mindset is kind of just like, this is my skill level. You either have it or you don't. It's kind of black and white. And then a growth mindset is you put forth effort into something and you're going to get better. So it's kind of like a process. And the more effort you put into it, the better you can get. Okay. And what were you going to say, Chelsea?
2: That's very much me with learning Vietnamese. (laughs) So it's so hard. And then I hear Tori speaking to his mother and I'm like, oh, maybe I'll pick up some of the words. (laughs) No. Um, And so it's, it's hard because I see progress in the app of I'm learning these words and I'm starting to understand plurals and possession and things like that, but I can't make it happen in real time. I'm not anywhere near there. And so I see the end goal of, just being able to pick up some of the words or phrases that they're talking about, or being able to say very basic things. And it can be very discouraging when you see that and you're like, Oh, man, that's awesome. And then your personal journey, you're just so much further away.
0: <laughs> okay, well, this is really good discussion. I want to take just a quick break for a couple minutes. And then when I come back, I have a question about social media and social comparison. So, researchers. Get that question in your head and we'll come back in just a minute. Okay, and we're back. All right. So I asked you before we left about social comparison and social media. I feel like this is probably a very rich area. I feel like maybe we have a lot of social comparison going on in social media. You probably could tell since I started this entire podcast talking about comparing yourself to people on Facebook. So talk to me about social comparison and social media.
1: Well, I think you log on to social media and everybody is just living their best life. So you see these bikini shots of people on amazing beaches and just like incredible food that people cook from scratch. And it's just the images of their best life. They're not showing the nailed it images that they failed 15 times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just look at the amazing thing that I did where you don't see the hours that they spend in the gym and all the desserts that they don't eat to craft that amazing body. There was a meme about, that someone created
0: that when they see someone who looks beautiful in a bikini, they just get sad thinking about all the tacos that they didn't get to eat. <laughs> so that kind of thing. Yeah, so I think I think that's that's definitely a, a good point is that we don't realize or we don't we aren't cognizant. We're more on Facebook of, of everything that goes into it. The person doesn't necessarily acknowledge it. We weren't there for the journey. We just see someone who apparently has all of these good things and and we compare to them and we don't have them. And so we have this
3: negative emotional reaction to it. Right. Well, it also sounds like in that case, you know, when you think about these images we portray on social media that or when we're looking at the images of others and how they're portraying themselves, we really don't have all of the information. So it's not one of those fair social comparisons where we can really assess what Chelsea's been talking about. Like, is this person on my level, so to speak, or like, you know, is, is this actually a, a good comparison for me to make? Because I don't really know this person, this issue with this person holistically. I'm only seeing what they're presenting
0: Right. Do you think social comparison feeds into what people choose
3: to present on social media? Well, is there research? Remind me, guys. uh, Is there research to support that when we make, let's say, upward social comparisons to others, that it motivates us to behave differently? Yes, it can. Do we know in what ways? I mean, so so
2: that's part of the theory is that it motivates you to try harder in that area. So with my baking example, when I'm looking at Great British Bake Off, I'm thinking, wow, you know, if I baked more often, or if I attempted some of the things that they're doing, maybe I could get that good. Or an example, when I look at people in my department who have tenure, that's something that I would really like to have as an academic. And I compare myself to them and say, okay, what are the steps I have to take to get there. So it's motivating in the sense of it's kind of showing you what you need to do to get where you want to go and making it seem maybe possible in that way. So while initially, it might make us feel not so great that we're not there yet, it can show us all of the necessary steps that we have to take to get where we want to be, whether that's academic
0: journey, fitness journey, baking journey, all of those. So with social media, it could be kind of this double-edged sword in which we can compare ourselves to someone else, do this upward social comparison and think, yes, that's what I want, but then also not see those steps. So not really be fully cognizant of what it would take to get there or really not even just fully cognizant, but not know at all whether it is willfully hidden by the person who posted it or just because of the limitations of social media, you don't know the path it takes to get there. So it can be this upward social comparison, but without kind of the support structure of knowing what you need to do to get there.
2: Yeah, kind of the upward social comparison minus the context. And so really, it's just you comparing yourself to someone else who you think has more or has something that you want absent the context. And so I think that's part where it can turn into just making you feel badly and not necessarily motivating you to try harder.
3: And there is research, I'm actually reading some of the data right now, that where people have actually manipulated different online situations with people like where they can make upward or downward social social comparisons in a very much similar context as what we're talking about, like the post Jen mentioned of someone looking great in a bikini, it looks like technology-based social comparison and feedback-seeking, so kind of posting in a way that is uh, soliciting some kind of feedback from others, maybe in comments or in other forms on social media, have been found in laboratory studies to be associated with depressive symptoms. And then I found in a separate study that just social comparison in general, in the context of different forms of social media, particularly upward social comparisons, was related to more feelings of negative self-esteem in the moment. It. there's definitely data that's been produced by some studies by social psychologists where they've actually manipulated variables about what we're talking about in laboratory controlled laboratory settings and found some interesting associations that would kind of go along with what you think would happen
0: right Th- that makes sense yeah and so then our terrible outcome negative outcome that we're seeing in this data then is depression right depressive symptoms coming from upward social comparison on social media without that kind of context that we're talking about. I wonder also, just in thinking about it, when we look at social media, we I, I've always heard this phrase, and I don't know who first said it, so apologies to that person, but I've always heard this phrase that we are comparing everyone else's highlight reel to our bloopers. That is the comparison that we're doing when we look at social media because we're just looking at the best points of everybody else's life and then we look at the worst points of ours. And I also think that we take the high points of everybody's life on social media and think we should have all of them, even though all of those high points come from different people, right? So you have one friend who is eating this amazing food, and then someone else who is looking good in a bikini, and then someone else is making a million dollars, and then someone else is spending all this time with their family, and then someone else is devoting all the time to their hobby. And you feel like you should have all of those, even though all those people don't have all of those. And so we could run into a social comparison problem there, maybe. That's an
1: excellent point. And I've never thought about it like that.
3: I also can't help but wonder, since we're recording this during the COVID-19 pandemic, how social comparison has maybe stayed the same, but perhaps changed because of contextual changes on social media. And so like one thing I found really refreshing during this time is Well, Jen gave the example of like the lady in the bikini and the amazing vacation. And apparently, you know, a lot of people aren't taking vacations right now, obviously. But in addition to that, like it seems as though people have been a little bit more transparent with some of the content they're putting on social media, because even like stay at home, you know, bloggers and Instagrammers and people who worked at home and who maybe were even creatives and made these beautiful images to put out on Instagram for different, you know, entrepreneurial goals they had or, or what have you now like with kids at home or other things that are kind of messing with that magic <laughs> that they usually create is interfering with some of the the content production and so I've seen a lot more of just like in your face raw and real this is how it is oh and by the way I didn't have time to put makeup on right today because of blah 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 or whatever so I don't know I just was kind of thinking about whether you guys feel we're still making those same kinds of comparisons with the changing context? Are they, you know, better for us worse for us?
0: I do feel like we've made more allowances right now for just the messiness of life that we're all just kind of messy right now. And like you said, we are, we are inviting people's kids into things and and the food choices and all these things that we might judge someone else for, I feel like we're giving a lot of grace about those things right now. And I think that is probably positively impacting our social comparison scales. It's giving us more of that contextual information so that we know how to compare ourselves to someone else.
3: Or is it just giving us an opportunity to make it sounds horrible, but more downward social comparisons where we're like, Oh, I mean, at least I was able to put makeup on today, or whatever. Like compared to that person, and I, that, it's that statement. I'm yeah. at least I'm not. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just I, it's almost like maybe the real and rawness has created opportunities for some more downward social comparisons, which can make us feel better about ourselves versus the upward perfection seeking.
0: Right. And maybe feeling better about ourselves is kind of what we need right now because we talked a little bit last week on a a different recording about how this we're feeling this latent anxiety and we feel a lot of pressure right now. And so maybe feeling better is what we need. And that's why we are being a little bit more open and a little bit more raw. And we're able to downwardly social compare with other people to say, I'm not doing well, but I'm not doing that badly. So I must be okay.
1: I think social comparison for me on social media has been kind of devastating throughout this COVID pandemic. So for instance, I currently live in Texas. I have a modest house in Texas, but it's been 90 degrees and I have green space. I can go outside, I can get some sunlight. And then I log in to social media and I see my healthcare workers and man, they are really battling on the front lines. They're going through so much and friends in New York, they can't leave their apartment, they can't get the food that they need, just everything, the grocery store is running out. It's a totally different experience. And seeing how privileged I am, and how much they are struggling extra, that's been a real weight on me.
0: Yeah, I feel I feel that I I. I'm wondering how it fits in with what we're talking about with the accurate versus upward versus downward. Would you say maybe that's a kind of an accurate social comparison that's giving you a view of where you are in context to everybody else? Or is that a downward social comparison in that we are comparing ourselves to people who have it worse than us and it's actually causing this guilt response as opposed to a, a bump in self-esteem? Does anybody have any thoughts about that?
3: Well, first, I want to point out that it's tricky right now to to really assess who has it worse. Of course, based on like resources and particularly, you know, given the contextual kind of environmental stuff Jen was just talking about, you can certainly compare, you know, a house where you can go outside and have a yard and have nice weather and have access to grocery delivery versus someone who can't go outside at all because they live in an urban environment. There's too many people around, you'll get exposed anywhere you go, you don't have food, etc. I'm I'm certainly not saying that, you know, Jen's situation isn't more, you know, quote unquote privileged in that case. But I think that we have to remember that everybody's carrying their own emotional baggage through this, their own past experiences, their own current triggers. And I'm sure we can't, you know, there there aren't very many healthcare workers right now that would say they're having like an easy go of it, certainly. But I think we have to be careful to in assuming how other people feel unless we know not that that's what you were doing, Jen. But I just think that this situation with the crisis that we're in, when we're seeing the different information on social media, I think it gives us an opportunity to reach out to those people and ask how they're feeling rather than assume something about their situation, compare it to ours without knowing that full context. Because I think emotional and like individual differences in perceived stress, like all of that has to do with people's context today. I don't know if that has anything to do with what You said, Michelle, but it was bothering me because I, I, th- I just feel like still it's all relative. Like someone without food right now could still feel like they have it great because they're not infected. So it's all relative.
0: Right. And I think that's an important point. And I think it comes back to kind of the crux of social comparison as a whole, back to that question of standard of comparison. What axis are we comparing ourselves to someone else on? Because the fact is that we are all this amalgamation of so many different variables that there really isn't anyone else that we can compare ourselves to that has exactly the same constellation than we do, that we do. And we can try, we can try to find someone the same age, height, weight, general position in life, you know, we, we can try to find everything and match as many variables as we can, but we will never get someone that is a a perfect representation of us in a different context. And so we are always going to have some level of error in our social comparison. So while it's, I feel like it's an adaptive tool, it's useful. It also is, it's not accurate, not totally. And so that comparison can then lead to very detrimental outcomes such as as depression or anxiety or even this, the pain of empathy that you can't do anything about.
2: And I'd like to kind of reiterate Michelle's point by saying that it's our perception, right? So my perception of someone with an accurate background or my perception of someone who I think is better off than me or has better skills or abilities, my perception of someone who's worse off or has worse skills, skills or abilities on something that's not necessarily accurate at all. Right. But I don't think that accuracy matters so much as our perception matters. Sure. So it may not be super important to focus on somebody who's exactly the same, but rather someone
0: who we think is the same and weighing ourselves that way. Right. I think you're absolutely right. Because it does come down to our perception. Because honestly, mm-hmm. we don't have an objective measure of how close they are to us. We only have our perception to to gauge from. So and I think that's maybe sometimes where we can go wrong is if our perception is skewed for some reason, if we feel like we should be different, or we should be measuring on something else, or we have a bias or a filter through which we are perceiving people. Okay, I would like to take another break and then I want to come back and talk about some strategies we can recommend for when people find themselves experiencing negative outcomes from engaging in social comparison. So hold that thought and we'll be right back. Okay. And we're back. Okay. So What are some of the strategies we can recommend for people who find themselves being harmed or experiencing negative outcomes from engaging in social comparison?
1: I think being in line with your values, like knowing who you are and what you want to do. So if I want to have fun with yoga and feel great, but never be the person on the poster, or I guess on the Instagram post with a great yoga pose, like that's okay. And I don't have to be perfect, but I can feel good.
0: I think that's great. That actually brings a an example to mind from my past, we do big family reunions and one one part of my family, and or at least we used to we haven't in a while. But at any rate, we have these big sports games at the the family reunion, you know, we'll play softball or volleyball or something. And we were playing volleyball one year, and my dad's cousin missed the ball. And she was she just kind of laughed and said, Oh, I don't get paid to do this. So I don't have to be good at it. And I had Hmm. been standing there so anxious that everybody was going to judge me for being so bad at volleyball because I am bad at all sports. And when she said that it just like struck my brain like lightning to be like i don't have to be good at this like this isn't part of my identity that's not part of who i am it's not speaking to my value i don't have to be good at this and i think that is what i try to keep in mind when i get into social comparison if i'm watching great british baking show and i'm i'm thinking oh, i'll never be able to bake like that well true, but I, I'm not trying. That's, that's not what I am trying to do. That's not who I am. So it's okay. I don't have to be good at this.
3: I love that Michelle. And that's so funny that you brought that up because that's exactly what Jen did for me when I went to my first ballet class in like 15 years, <laughs> a couple of months ago, I was so nervous. And I texted all you guys and, and Jen said, no one expects you to be good at it. And I was like, Oh, okay well that changes everything (laughs) i was like let me go on in there (laughs) it was really helpful that's so freeing though freeing of our own expectations yeah I, I was also thinking um, in terms of some strategies, I think if we go back to think about what I was talking about in terms of like, when and why, like when when this is adaptive, and, and why we do it and back to that fundamental need to belong that humans have and how this is just social comparison is just one tool that is supposed to try is it's trying to get us back to uh, in line with this need, meaning only use social comparison if it's making you feel more connected with others. If it's making you feel more like an outsider, less like you belong, and were generally worse about yourself, then you might need to make an adjustment. Because really, these types of ways that we assess our social standing with others are really supposed to be helping us keep in good graces with our groups, keep, you know, tight knit social connections with other people that mean something to us and add value to our life. And if it's not functioning to serve us in a positive way like that, then we need to kind of get rid of it.
0: I like that. It goes back to when we were talking about using these things strategically. We use them for a purpose to accomplish something. And if the tool is not accomplishing the purpose we set it out for, then don't use it, right? right? Then just step away. And I think Jen's right in that we use our values to guide that process to think, is this who I want to be? I don't feel comfortable with this comparison. I don't feel good about this. This is not helping me. So is this really who I want to be? Maybe it's not, maybe my values are somewhere else. And that's the direction I need to go.
2: We're also more likely to make these comparisons when we don't have an objective marker at being good at something. So if it's more ambiguous or uncertain, how do I know if I'm a good baker? Right. In other fields or areas that are important to us, we might have very objective markers of how good we are at something. So feedback from our jobs, for instance, where we may not be engaging as much social comparison there because we have an objective marker of what being a good teacher is or kind of one, right? (laughs) Student evals are not necessarily totally objective, but they're at least a quantifiable, this is how good you are at teaching number. And we can see that that improves hopefully over time. But other things, it's hard to tell. How do I know if I'm a good friend? What's an objective measure of being a good friend? And I think that that's when we really start to get into these gray areas. And some of the questions we might be asking ourselves, am I successful, right? And that's one of the traps that we could get sucked into on social media. If we're asking ourselves this open-ended, am I successful question without really knowing what success looks like or defining that for ourselves, we might look to all of those other profiles and see, oh, well, success looks like Having a big family or going on vacations or having this dream body or all of these disparate things that different people have, like you were saying before, not necessarily all the same person. So having those um, objective versus more subjective standards for success or judging ourselves for comparisons.
0: Right. And I feel like that still goes back to what Jen said first about the values, right? Of if you define what it is that who you are and what it is that you're here for, then those those pictures on social media won't impact you as much because you'll realize that they're not in line with your goals. I feel like also though when I'm thinking about my volleyball story, what really was bugging me was how I felt I was being reflected in the judgment of other people. So I'm comparing myself to everybody else, because I don't want to be seen as the bad one, you know, so I think it, it goes back to what Angie's talked about this need to belong. that We have this external perception as well of are these people looking at me and, and judging me badly, I'm comparing myself so that I can get a sense of how other people are judging me.
1: Mm hmm. Uh-huh.
3: And there's like lots of assumptions there, too. You know, I love to talk about assumptions, clearly that they are judging us, right, and that they're making those comparisons. And so it's almost like, again, that social detection ne- mechanism trying to like keep up with what the rest of the people there in your volleyball group are thinking, well, what are they thinking about me? Am I measuring up? Okay, because it's like you said, your way of kind of mirroring that understanding what you think they are thinking by comparing yourself to them. I feel like that must
0: reflect back also to how centered and confident you feel in yourself.
3: Makes sense. Because if that need to belong is already fulfilled it by this kind of steady, uh, more stable ego, so to speak, where you're not feeling like you have to constantly evaluate what's going on in your social surroundings, are you belonging at any given time, then you wouldn't engage in things like social comparison that would help you kind of navigate your social surroundings.
2: Right. So I wonder how that differs based on the group that you're in. Because I imagine for some groups, you might feel more secure than others, maybe depending on how long you've been in that group, right? So your roles in the groups could change, you could think about your family roles versus maybe your friend
3: roles or friend groups that you have. Also history of rejection in that group has that group shown that to accept you for who you are in the past and or have you measured up to others in the past? Have you contributed to the group in the past in a meaningful way? And things like that. So It
0: sounds like another strategy then is one that we actually talk about a lot on this podcast, social support. Find your group of people that you feel like you belong, that those needs are satisfied, that you don't feel like you have to socially compare or worry about their perception, that you feel safe within that group. And then that is maybe protective against engaging in harmful social comparison in other groups because you have that place where you feel safe.
1: Yeah, I think that can certainly help. If you can be authentic and be yourself and the group accepts you for being you, regardless of your volleyball skills, um, I think that's a great group to be in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As for this one, does anybody have any final thoughts or advice or anything you want to say to the listeners before we sign off?
3: Social comparison, proceed with caution. I like that. Use it adaptively. (laughs) See it
1: for the tool that it is and use it adaptively. So I really like what one of you guys said earlier about reflecting upon where you came from, maybe a couple steps back and seeing where you are today and just really relishing in your improvements and how you've grown personally.
0: Absolutely. And I think mapping it back to your goals, like you said at the beginning of the strategy section as well. Look at where you were, look at where you are now, and then map that to where you want to go. And make sure if you're comparing yourself to someone else, you're comparing it along a variable that is actually important to you. Well said. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you everyone so much for being here. Also, thank you listeners for joining us today. Our podcast today was edited by Travis Woodley and produced by Travis and myself. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode or want to check out our supporting materials, you can find us at our website, www.itcpodcast.com, Inside the Chrysalis podcast on Facebook or at Inside the Chrysalis on Instagram. You can also leave us a rating in your podcast app and please recommend us to your friends if you like us. We would love to chat with you. Just so you know, all of our views we express here or there uh, are ours alone and are not representative of our respective organizations. So if you don't like something we said, we have to take the heat all by ourselves. In addition to that, we are researchers, not counselors. So please don't take our advice in any kind of diagnostic capacity. If you really enjoyed the content and want access to more, visit our Inside the Chrysalis page on Patreon and become one of our supporters to help cover our production costs. See you next time.